Good evening, I want to greet you in the strong and the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Chris, I get to be one of the pastors. It seems like we got a lot of pastors around here. Does that seem like it to you? Feels a little heavy, doesn't it? It's uh, been a, a long few days, or a long 24 hours, I should say. Uh, it, it brought me great grief to hear about the tragedy that took place yesterday in El Paso, and then when I woke up early this morning to finish working on a sermon... I realized that that wasn't the most recent tragedy that had happened in our country. And so um, I think it's really important that we take some time out and that we pause. I scratched my sermon and uh, I decided to rewrite another one. And so uh, we're going to spend some time together in reflection and some time in some prayer and some time asking some really, really hard questions. At any point, uh, parents with kids, if you want to walk back and grab stuff, you can. It's back there. If you need crayons or snacks or whatever the case, that would be that would be uh, appropriate. But as we um, as we enter into this space, uh, let's do so uh, first in the form of prayer. Would that be okay? I invite you to take whatever posture you would like. You can sit. You can kneel. You can lean forward. You can close your eyes. You can hold, your, hold the hand of the person next to you, um, but make this prayer your prayer and our prayer together. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are the author of all life. In love, you created the whole human race and everything that surrounds us, seen and unseen. Even in the midst of tragedy, brokenness, and sin, you have not left us alone. You are our very present help in times of trouble. You are the one that heals the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. But there are many who are in the depths of mourning today. And we hear your call again to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. So we come to you as the ones who both as the one who both hears our prayers and helps us by the power of the spirit. We pray the things that we don't even know how to articulate. We have groans that are too deep for words. We come before you again in the midst of violence, death, and darkness. High schools, colleges, nightclubs, movie theaters, stores, shopping malls, social service centers, churches, synagogues, mosques, Sikh temples, homes. Death and terror have touched them all. Our hearts, O God, ache as we live in a world where death reigns, where bullets fly, and and lives are so mercilessly taken. But we come into your presence, O God. To recognize that human beings are made in the beautiful and the holy image of God and are thus deserving of dignity, respect, and love. We lament as there are those who lost their lives and that many more were marred, wounded, and traumatized for years to come. You oppose the murder and violence towards those whom you have made. So let us not be numb to or make light of or rationalize, politicize, dare to excuse or ignore what has happened. Let us weep. As you wept over Jerusalem, we lament terrorism in all forms. And this week, we pray against those who wish to create terror, fear, and death in all forms. We pray against those who wish to create terror, fear, and death in the LGBTQ community. We pray against those who wish to create terror, fear, and death in the African-American community. We pray against those who wish to create terror, death, fear in the Latino and Hispanic community. We pray against those who wish to create terror, fear, and death in this place and around the world. 
We pray against those who oppose those in law enforcement that act justly and do what is sacrificial and right. We pray against any person whose posture towards another group manifests itself in meanness, cruelty, callousness, slander, and murder. We remember your word says, be gentle, speak evil of no one, and show perfect courtesy to all people, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we pray these things. We pray against radicalization and extremism of any kind. May all, whoever they may be, LGBTQ people, black, brown, white, uniformed, self-righteous, Republican or Democrat, victim or terrorist, come to know you and receive your transforming healing. May we all respond to your words. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, you were friend to all classes and categories of people, but you were especially friends towards those in the margins. We lament and confess that our posture as your people has often been one of self-righteousness and judgment and not one of vulnerable and gutsy love. We've wanted so badly to be right that we've missed many opportunities to serve, weep, show the love, truth, and beauty of your reign. So Christ, comfort those who mourn today, especially those families dealing with empty hearts that dial numbers of their loved ones just to hear the voices. Help us as your church to show compassion and solidarity to the hurting without partiality or judgment. Make yourself known in and through us to this broken, sinful, mournful, and hurting world. And finally, Lord, with anger and yet with hope and courage, we pray for these who carry out these horrific acts. We pray for their families of these perpetrators who even in their sins also bear your image. We pray for those who are like-minded in violence and hatred. And we beg that you would show them your truth and your love. And we pray these things because Jesus has invited us to do so. So it is in his strong and powerful name that we pray them. Amen and amen. For the last several weeks we've been in this series that's we've called God is Green, and really that's been a series that's been framed around the idea that human beings in both direct and indirect ways have been hostile and violent to both the world and their fellow neighbors. Uh, this week, the events in Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Gilroy, El Paso, and Dayton have reminded us again that the world is broken. And if we're not careful, we can just go about our lives because these tragedies are so commonplace anymore. For some, tragedy makes us immune to tragedy. For others, the temptation is to just rush through tragic days. So it's important that we as a church acknowledge the violence and the brokenness that that is around us. And it is not irresponsible to step into the grief that it brings. But instead, it's an okay thing to say, to declare, that there is no good news for us today. Uh, I don't think that we can continue in the God is Green series today. We'll pick up that next week or another time, but we should acknowledge our lament. We should give space to the struggle that we feel. The book of Ecclesiastes says that there are seasons to weep, and this is one of those seasons. And whether you're a kid or you're an adult, uh, weeping is how our bodies respond to, to bad news in the world. 
Lots of churches today will tell the story of, have told the story of salvation as if it's the, the John Denver song, Sunshine on My Shoulders Makes Me Happy. And there was really no mention of the events that have taken place or the tragic loss. And I think, I think that's a tragedy. Because the Bible does not shy away from the tears. And, and I can't either. And the biblical text says that God's heart breaks, that Jesus wept, and the Spirit identifies with our groans. So we're invited into this space to grieve. We're invited to move into those kinds of places. We're invited to help our kids move into those kinds of places. Kids feel tragedy and hurt too. Sometimes those spaces might be a bedroom or a counselor's office or a pastor's study. Uh, National memorials like the one down the street are those kinds of set-apart and sacred spaces. And sanctuaries of worship can be those spaces of lament as well. Today is a time to weep. It's the places here, the places now. So we gather as the grieving people of God. And the most important thing that the grieving people of God can do when they gather is to be honest. The prophets of old were honest. The Psalms were honest. Jesus' cry of dereliction was honest. He says, why God have you forgotten about me? And sometimes we honestly cannot make sense of the brokenness that we see around us when 9-11 seems to happen around us every single day. Paul says that when we don't have words, the Spirit actually will intercede on our behalf and the, the Spirit will take our groans and the Spirit will turn those into words. Eugene Peterson said that the Psalms that the shepherd boy turned King David wrote are an actual gift to us because they are, they are curse words that we can use when our curse words just are not satisfying enough. So David's curse words here become our sermon and our prayer today. These words were written thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. But it feels like they could have been written this morning. So listen to Psalm 10. It says this, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the scheme he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He is haughty and your laws are far from him. He sneers at all of his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent, watching in secret for, for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and he never sees. So arise, O Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, O God, 
Do you see trouble and grief? You consider it to, you consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. So break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness. That would not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. So defend the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. It seems as if these words could have been written this morning. They become our prayer. They become our sermon. They are the words that give us space to lament. So with that in mind, I give you permission to be honest. Not because it is uh, mine to give, but on behalf of God in a priestly act. I give you permission as he has told me that I can give it to you. These are difficult days. And it immediately calls us to ask, what, we, what, 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 what should we do? And how should we respond? The fact of the matter is, I'm not entirely sure. But I do have some pastoral words and maybe some pastoral thoughts. And so would it be okay if I shared those with you? Who cares if you say, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Our greatest desire here at the 8th Street Church uh, is that, that we would be an outpost for healing and hope and that we would be an outpost for reconciliation and peace in the midst of a really chaotic world. We want this church to be a safe place for kids and adults alike. We want it to be a place where we can have real conversations, where we can have real relationships. And certainly it feels like from time to time we're walking a tightrope. This is a difficult task. I've wondered often how I pastor a church and how we be the church in a world like this. And as I've struggled through this, I've actually found my example in others. Weekly, uh, for the last number of years, weekly, I think about the terrorist tragedy that took place at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charles, uh, Charleston, South Carolina a few years ago. It happened in 2015, and that event was one of those examples when peace and reconciliation seemed to lose to the work of violence and justice. Over the last 24 hours, I've been doing some personal reflection. I've been trying to be honest about my feelings, and if you're anything like me, you feel anger, fear, hurt. Sometimes you're just plain numb, and uh, my desire is to respond in, in some of these ways. I want revenge. I want retribution, I want vengeance, I lack compassion, I lack sensi sensitivity, I lack mercy. And I can't keep these feelings to myself. I, w I want the world to know how I feel. I want to post things on Facebook, I want to write a blog, I harbor anger, I talk with my friends about it. I engage in political discussions, I write my representatives, I want to figure out who to blame. Should we blame the police? The me mental health system? Should we blame the NRA? Should we blame politicians? I want to cry and I want to scream at the same time. And there should be space for all of these things. 
But what I think helps me keep perspective, actually, is the example of the good people of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Do you remember that event? When a man went in there and committed an act of violence among a group of people that welcomed him in as he tried to start a race riot? They're they're the ones that I look to in times like these. Their lives and their deaths tell the story of a people of faith, of the people of faith throughout Christian history that have responded to violence and brokenness in the way of Jesus. Many times we call them martyrs, but the more appropriate term is saints. I can't help but think of the senior pastor, Reverend Clementa Pinckney, and, and he was a civil rights activist and he was a senator. He and eight other victims certainly were advocates for peace, equality, justice, something that Jesus was all about. And their heroism has become an example to me, and I think it's become an example to us in times like this. Their example reminds us all that love and peace and reconciliation is stronger than violence and justice and equality. They remind us in their life and their death, they remind us that as theirs was, so our lives and even our deaths are given to ministry in the midst of darkness. You know, we say these words a lot when tragedy happens. We will never forget to embrace their way is to do just that. It's to not forget. We remember that they and these that have lost their lives will not be forgotten when a community of people, much like ours, embraces the way of faithful, reckless love. This is the way that they are not forgotten. And anyone who has been a victim of terrorism or bullying or sexual abuse or brokenness is not forgotten when we do as they, do, as they did, when we speak love into a very dark world. And this is the reason I think we can do it while at the same time we don't want to do it. It is because of their example. Dr. King said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. This is what Eugene Peterson calls entering into a holy mystery. It's when a group of people like us, God's people, embrace the values, their values and their virtues, and we hold tight to the idea that that hope comes in love and peace and reconciliation. And these things are stronger than evil. Not even death can overcome them. And it's in these that we honor those that have lost their lives through merciless acts of violence. This is what John the Baptist, who himself was a victim of violence, did. He was the one that walked into the darkness, into the wilderness, into the desert, and he proclaimed hope. And John the Apostle wrote about him. He said this, that God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that, so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. He said John himself was not the light. He came simply as a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the world that he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, his own people, and even they rejected him. It is by embracing our commitment to stand in dark places as light and hope with courage and love that we follow the example of those saints and these that were set for us. It's the way to say, like Paul himself, who also was a victim of terrorism, as he uses the words of the prophet Hosea, who also was a victim of violence, oh, death, 
Where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? Jesus of Nazareth is the one who personifies love, peace, equality, justice. And he was a victim of violence. He was an innocent man that died on a cross. The values that are demonstrated in him are the ones that we carry into this situation and the situations that we will face when brokenness and injustice tries to come and destroy our world. And while my desire is a call for revenge, I remember that John was not finished when he talked about Jesus. He continued, but to all who believe in him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. They have been reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. When I was about five years old, I got really, really, really sick. I got an infection that, that um, was connected to a bout of chicken pox, if you can believe it. And the doctors told, me to, told my parents to take me home. They didn't know if I was going to make it. I had a fever that soared. My brain swelled. I was paralyzed. I couldn't walk or see, and I would scream in the night, feeling like my bed was falling, my, my bed was falling and the ceiling was caving in on me. And I don't remember a whole lot of that. I was too sick, but I do remember even blind hearing my parents' voice in the dark. When we react in vengeance or retribution, when we act in our old worldly ways, we recognize that through the ministry of God, now we have been reborn. And this is not a physical birth, and it didn't come from human plans or passions, but it's a new kind of birth that only comes from God. We are born of God, which means that now we are God's children. And John says that we are his children, and, and as his children, we belong to him, and we can recognize his voice in the dark. And his voice speaks to us in, in the saints of that church. And his voice speaks to us in the saints that have felt, that, that have been the victims of violence. And his voice speaks to us even right now. We can listen for his voice in the dark. Because his voice will tell us this. We are free with God's help to continue the ministry of peace and reconciliation even in the face of violence. We are free to continue to stand in the place of justice and mercy and equality, even as angry as we are. The lives and the deaths of those good people uh, through the ministry of Jesus call us into this. The victory, death, violence, and justice becomes for us who know him and who are his children. It's just a mirage because after all, we are his children and ours is a new birth and life that comes from God. Friends, there are no easy answers. We curse and we cry, but we also carry within ourselves the ministry of Jesus in this dark place and we do so with hope and love and, that can con and know that uh, these are the things that can conquer death. And we too want to be great examples of him in the world. This is what it means to be a community of resurrection. We want to carry inside ourselves the ministry of justice and peace and equality. It is the most difficult but the most courageous thing to do. It is also the only thing in the world that can combat darkness and evil. So, with the help of God's Spirit, let us be fully present. 
let us bring our lament. With Christ as our empowerment and our example, let us be really brave. Let us get to know our neighbors and believe, as my friend Brad Bandy says, the world only changes around tables. And around tables, we engage in holy conversations with one another about the ways in which these values that the saints have given us can be carried out in our work, in our homes, in our city. Paul addressed a congregation in Rome as they were facing violent persecution. And his advice to them is the same advice to us. He says, friends, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The way of God's vengeance and violence and destruction, the way God speaks our language of this world, can actually be seen in the bloody, shamed, crucified Christ. Friends, this is what the Lord's Supper represents. It represents that he was the king to establish a brand new royal line of hope. And as Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel says, he came to set things right. The judges couldn't do it. Saul couldn't do it. David and his sons couldn't do it. The prophets couldn't do it. Donald Trump cannot do it. Neither can the 21 members who want to be president of the Democratic Party. But what they could not do, Jesus of Nazareth is capable to do. And he's capable to do it through us. His crown was of thorns. His throne was a cross of murder. His royal sign was one of mockery. It was nailed above his head. His subjects were those who spit on him and punched him in the face. And how Jesus goes about restoring this world, I am am not sure. That's part of the holy mystery. But I do know that God and Jesus is a double-edged sword. I do know that God and Jesus is both the I am the Savior and the why have you forsaken me? He is both the answer and the question. He is both the victory and he is the lament. In Christ, God is both the deliverer of the message of judgment and he is the recipient of that judgment. He is both the voice of condemnation and he is the receiver of the condemnation. He is both the language that carries out the vengeance and he is the word that that vengeance is carried out upon. He is both the one that we get to lash out at and the one that we get to put our trust in and give our sorrows. At the communion table, he is the one that we get to approach honestly with both our praise and our lament. And because he is the king, he is capable of leading and restoring his kingdom, even this earth, even when it seems that he is the one who created its destruction. How could it be? So this table actually becomes the safe space for us. It becomes the sacred space to us. It becomes the place where we get to bring our whys or our how long or lords. And it's also the place that we get to bring our may the Lord do what is good in his eyes. When we come to this table, we get to bring the real stuff and we get to meet at the same time with the real God. To come to this table and partake of these elements is an act of trust with this holy God. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come as a way of trust. But I don't want you to forget that this table comes within the story of heartache and violence. Because it was at dinner that Jesus 
on the night before Jesus was betrayed by those he came to save. Took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. An act. And whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant that comes in my blood. And whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. Anyone who wants to bring their grief and their trust, their sorrow and their hope is welcome to this table. We want no barriers, so I want to let you know our bread is gluten-free, our wine is non-alcoholic. When you come, I invite you to leave your row, come down the center aisle with your hands cupped and ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. Approach one of these servers, listen to what they have to say. They're going to say very important words to you. And then I want you to dip the bread into the cup and be thankful. If for any reason you cannot make it down our aisle, uh, my friend Paul would love to come and serve you. Friends, this is the way in which we get to bring our grief and our hope. We enter into a story of hope, a story of crucifixion that leads to resurrection when we come to this table. So I want to invite you to come whenever you're ready.